Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. This week we're talking about two things, as usual. The just-released-in-Canada drama Nine Days, and the first three episodes of Marvel's new animated anthology series, What If. Uh, my name is Matthew, and with me always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to, what's this, episode five now? This is episode five of our wow. relaunched podcast. We are quite professional. It's, and... it's good. It's it's good. We are professional. And this is good because I uh, I have very little time. I have two kids. And, and so, of course, the things we tend to watch before I pass out are generally kid-friendly. So I, um, I'm massively behind in my movie watching. So the, the podcast is good because uh, I have to make time to watch stuff that is not kid-friendly. So I'm glad that we're already at episode five. I know, right? And it's just also nice to uh, speak to you every week. <laughs> uh, as if we don't speak every day. <laughs> that is true. That is true. In fact, what's interesting is that we're having to stop talking so much during the week. So we don't repeat ourselves at the weekend. In fact, if we know we're podcasting, that topic becomes foreboding. So um, uh, our, our uh, opinions today are going to be as fresh as they are to each other for a change. Which is, is uh, nice. I think it's a good thing. And um, it's good because I think we've got two things this week that perhaps we have different opinions of for both of them, I think, which is always good. Uh yeah, I think that might be true, um, but also, no, that's just true. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just true. It's probably just true. Um, uh, so I think without further ado, should we just launch right into our discussion? I think we should, we're going to start with the yes. debut Nine feature days. from director Edson Oda called mm-hmm. Nine Days, which is a film that, true story, I adored. And I think Simon... <laughs> Just cut, cut to the chase. And uh, Simon, I think, liked? Would liked, say liked? Liked very much. Yeah. I think that's fair. In, I think... In, 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 on balance. You know, I'll talk about things later. Why don't you tell me what happens in this movie? Right. Not, so, not specifically. So Nine Days is the story of a man named Will who lives in a house in the middle of the desert. And he is an otherworldly being, some kind of spiritual figure. And he is in charge of um, a sort of cohort of souls on Earth. And when uh, when one of them passes away, he interviews new like candidate souls and chooses one to go and live a life on Earth. Um, And very much spiritual discussion ensues. Uh, the bulk of the film is made up of uh, Will, who's played by Winston Duke, who you'll remember from films like Black Panther and Us, uh, going through the selection process uh, with a group of souls to fill a vacancy in his viewing uh, gallery uh, for a life on Earth. And the main candidates are played by um, Bill Skarsgård and uh Tony Hale, and another person whose name I've forgotten now, and I feel really bad about that, and Zazie Beats. And Bill Skarsgård and Zazie Beats are really the main two of the group. Um, and it's a nine-day process for him to interview them and make a selection as to who is going to live a life on Earth. Mm-hmm. 
And it's super interesting and super well-performed. And I think I have a predisposition to this film because if you've followed my writing on the website uh, ever, um, you will know that I have a predisposition towards liking films that feel like plays. And this is one of those. It's so interesting you say that. Uh, It's like, basically, I like my drama high concept and wordy. (laughs) <laughs> which is uh, exactly what this film is. Mm. Uh, there's very little in terms of like action on screen. Um, it's just a lot of talking, a lot of philosophical musing, and a lot of play to the back of the theater acting from most of the people involved, especially from Winston Duke, who I think is pretty spectacular in this film. Um, yeah, uh, Winston Duke is, is one of a trio of black actors that I, I became aware of almost at the same time. Um, Winston Duke, um, uh, Lakeith Stenfield, and I can't say his last name, but Daniel from Kal- Get Out. Kaluuya. Right. So they all kind of came to my knowledge at the same time. And I've been following pretty much many things, not everything they do, but every time I see them in something, I'm just blown away by the range they have. Like Lakeith Stonefield, I saw in um, uh, no, not thank you for smoking. Thank you. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you, which is an incredible movie, by the way. And he is amazing in that. And then when you watch him, in in some things, he's like the coolest person you've ever met. In other things, he's fragile and volatile. He is just an incredible actor. And then uh, Daniel, who a British guy from um, from Get Out, and Everything he does is is really varied. And this is only, I think, the second time I've seen Winston Duke in, in something. Of course, I saw him in Get Out, but he is um he is the the guy in Black Panther who who temporarily goes against the uh, the rule of law to to try and bring stability to Wakanda. And the he's almost unrecognizable in this. Like even when you see him afterwards. Having just watched the movie, I watched an interview with the whole cast and I'm looking at him and thinking, you you do not look the same. Like you are completely unrecognizable. He's very, very good physically with his body, which there's a certain part of this movie where that really comes out. So yeah, just on your note about his performance, that's that was a real, him and Zazie Beats were the standouts for me by a long stretch. Yeah, I think Zazie Beats is another one of those uh actors who i guess it's not really fair to call her an up-and-comer anymore i think she's she's up and come as it were Um, (laughs) but uh um she has a very natural screen presence which i think lends itself well to a lot of the choices that she's made in terms of uh, roles she's taken and this is one of those um i don't think it's a spoiler to say that each of the characters each of the five um, souls that Will ends up having to interview for this vacant position on Earth um, has a fairly different sort of core personality trait mm-hmm. um, with Bill Skarsgård taking on the sort of like um, guarded and cynical uh, personality type and Zazie Beats being so in the moment and so um, hyper-focused on what's immediately happening around her that she's honestly not even really paying attention to the interview, which is 
got a really sweet quality to it. Oh, I it's think. pure really, innocence. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a pure innocence. It's a, it's, it's, and her interaction with Will is just delightful as a man because Will is a man who is entirely closed off. Um, he had in the movie he had lived a life on Earth. And without going into much detail, and to be fair, there's not much detail in the movie, but it didn't go as well as he maybe thinks it should or could have. Yeah. And her hyper-focus on him, uh, just as a person, becomes this very sort of sweet um, awakening for him, I suppose is the easiest way to say it. It sounds like I'm giving away major plot points in this film, but honestly... If you get 10 minutes into this film, you don't know pretty much exactly where it's going, then you haven't watched movies before. Like, <laughs> and this is definitely one of those cases where I feel like the the journey is the most important part, right? Because mm-hmm. um, even though you sort of understand where it's going to be at the end, uh, watching it get there is just, I think, quite, it's quite a beautiful film. And I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So my, my take on this is that it's a stage show. It's a stage play. It's written, it's written and performed uh, th- not just in the style, but thematically. One of the main themes is about the power of stage acting. That's, there's, there's something they do that Will does for the souls that is pure theatre. But if they are not chosen, they are given a choice of a moment that they want to live through before their souls sort of disappear back into the ether. And the way that is portrayed is pure theater, but there's also a a character motivation that revolves specifically around the, uh, the, the reasons for and benefits of acting and the kind of people that do it. And, and that is a major part of this movie. Um, interestingly, on that point, I'll be very interested to see how this does at the Oscars because the Oscars loves movies about actors and acting. Um, true, really, that is really very true. Them. So, um, the if you think of the artist, which I didn't like very much, but that did really, really well. Um, and there's, uh, I think this will do really well at the Oscars, and it deserves to. The, the performances are all really great theater performances. The script is a great theater script. And it's 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 reminded me a little bit of when the the very first movie started and they had these giant cameras and all they knew the only drama that existed was on theater so they basically performed a stage show and pointed the camera at what was going on and so that's why some of these very very early movies are Brasilian arch theatrical plays and this reminded me a bit of that um, and I do think that it would have worked better as a stage play. If I'd been to a theater and existed in the space as these actors telling this very slow, very metaphysical story about what's the meaning of life and what should we take from it? I thought, I think it would have been one of the most impactful pieces of theater really I've ever seen. Um, As a movie, I I think the uh, first half um, had a problem with focus and pacing as it jumped between these five. Um, I don't think it was entirely successful in, in how it chose to tell its story. However, there's a, a moment that involves Will's real favorite soul that he sent to Earth, that she is a real driving force for a big part of his character arc. 
there's a moment where he learns something from another interviewer um, who, who's like, there's a bunch of different interviewers who, who interview souls and he meets another one. And the second half of the movie, I think is phenomenal where the focus draws in and it stops really being an ensemble piece and it becomes personality versus personality. Um, I think the second half is much more successful and I, and I really liked where it went. And for someone who has been working in stage acting, God, since 15, like the, the themes of the passion for it and also the loss when you don't get to do it, it's really hit home for me because I, I, I haven't acted professionally for 11 years now. And it's, it's a fear that I have that I don't, I won't do it again. So it, it really hit home for me, but um, it was, it was nice to see uh, a, a story that really got that passion acted by a really great bunch of actors. And I have to say as well, um, Benedict Wong, who was sort of Will's kind of colleague. Um, he's not an interviewer himself, but he's part of the process. I first saw Benedict Wong in Doctor Strange and of course had no idea that he's from the UK. And so everything I see him in now, I, I just, I, I love when he uses his natural accent and he is a really phenomenal actor as well. But um, actually, Tony Hale for me was one of the MVPs. Tony Hale, who uh, I've recently watched a show on Disney Plus called The Mysterious Benedict Society, which I really recommend you watch, especially if you've got kids who like Secret Seven, Famous Five. It's a very idiosyncratic um, adventure mystery with Tony Hale playing his eccentric professor and that professor's evil twin brother at the same time, um, sending a bunch of kids to try and find out what his nefarious plan is. And he is such a talented actor. And in this, he is a different kind of character again, and he's really, really good. So yeah, the performances across the board were great. I, th I, I think the, 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 uh, the focus from the director was perhaps um, not the best it could have been in terms of for the film he was trying to make. Um, in the first half, but as, as a whole thing, if you are prepared to watch what is fundamentally a stage show, but as a, as a movie where you are, your, your view is guided instead of having the open view of the stage, if you're okay with that, then it's definitely worth watching. I really recommend it. It's interesting you say that about the direction. I, I don't exactly disagree with what you're saying about the first uh, the front half versus the back half of the film um but what i will say is that this is from a director a writer and director his name is edson oda um and this is his debut feature uh so taking that into account um i mean it's it's one of those things where you know, I can definitely see what you're saying about it not being entirely successful, but taking into account that it's his first feature length film, I think it's a, a, a hell of a debut. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, there's definitely first features out there that are nowhere near as good. <laughs> it's, uh, but he's, I really want to check out his short films. In an interview, I, I saw that when Zazie Beats got the script, she went to his website and watched all of his short films and immediately signed up for the film. So, um, I, uh, I would really like to go and watch his short films because he he has immaculate framing and the editing's great. The design is really good. It's the, it's for some reason um, these 
spiritual beings use old CRTs and VCRs to watch people's uh, um, lives on earth. And it's, it, it's, it's kind of great. The design is great and, and it's all very, very physical. Um, he reminded me a bit actually of um, Denis Villeneuve in, in terms of his great sweeping uh, design and sort of sci-fi leanings of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you for a first feature. I mean, he, he shot the hell out of it. I think there was more of a pacing issue. And his script was a fantastic script, but I think it would have been better as a, a stage script. But yeah, absolutely. I think he's one of the most exciting directors to watch at the moment. I was thinking of just coming back to the sort of the aesthetics of it for a second too. That um, and I think I said this, I wrote, I wrote a review of the film earlier this week and um, I've been thinking about it for days in that. So the way that Will and the other interviewers watch their souls on earth is with this big bank of like old school TVs and they record the highlights on, on VHS tapes. And I can't help but think to myself, how, how far removed are we from that setup being film projectors and film reels? at this point <laughs> it's because we're old man. and it's because we're 40 something now right like <laughs> yeah. I, but i honestly i don't really feel like we're that far away from it right like if this movie had been made five ten or maybe even only five years ago mm. i think it probably still would have been film reels absolutely big flapping reels of film yeah yeah absolutely. and like instead of vhs tapes and envelopes it would have been like yeah. you know fill, cuts sections of film strip hanging in a in a yeah, closet totally. or something right like yeah. we're just not that far and it honestly i'm not this is not a complaint it's just a thing that you know the world is moving on and suddenly it's it's just a little weird that the technology i grew up around is now the nostalgia tech so what's the next step in five years it will be um like zip what are those, not zip drives, what were those plug-in drives that you could get for a bit that were used for media? It was after CDs. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, you had a little cradle. Oh, that's going to annoy me. But it'll be, it'll be CDs next, won't it? It'll be CDs and then DVDs. And, I mean, honestly, if someone really wanted to create, say, say take this movie and make it in 10 to 15 years, 100% it would be like a bank of IMAX and they'd be recording on digital video and the highlights would be stored on zip disks, 100%. <laughs> zip disks. And honestly, the reason for that is just because zip disks are really the last of the like storage mediums that we've had in this world that were really chunky, oh, you know? I remember. Really I... chunky and physical and have that yeah. same feel that the VHS tape yeah. and in a different but extended way that the... Uh, that the the film reel did because cds don't have that chunkiness and even like floppy yeah. disks don't have the same physicality that the the zip disk and later yeah. the jazz drive did okay i'm googling that jazz drive <laughs> a jazz drive was an extension of zip disk it was a, a zip disk was 100 or 250 megabytes what and a jazz drive was a i think a gigabyte was the last biggest one it was a How bigger physical disc and it was i believe ceramic um <laughs> kids if you're listening the world has come so far even in within my lifetime like you, you have, have no put, idea you just have to put a cd or a disc into your computer to access the internet so you could load the thing that looked at the internet 
and then make sure no one else used the phone at the same time. Yeah, and for the really young around, uh, among you, a CD is a flat, <laughs> circular piece of plastic on which information is coated with lasers. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool when you put it like that. I mean, it is really cool. And, uh, you know, a DVD is the same thing, but uh, with a higher density of lasers. And a Blu-ray disc uses a blue laser instead of a red. It's really fascinating, actually, the <laughs> ways we've managed to record information on things. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some ways, it's a shame that it's all just online now. Um, anyway. But that's very much like the movie <laughs> we're talking about. Um, uh, <laughs> well, you know, maybe it is. Because what Zazie Beats' character, Emma, takes pleasure in the small things, in the small details. And that's what she teaches Will, like to summarize, her, her point is to show Will that there is beauty in tiny things. There's beauty everywhere. And he's too busy being sad to see beauty anywhere anymore. And so everyone he sends down... He, he wants them to be hard and cynical because the world is a hard and cynical place because he got chewed up and spat out when he was alive. Yeah. So it's um, her job is to reignite a little flame of warmth in him. It's, it's a very sweet story. She is, she's wonderful in this. She was really the highlight of the whole, whole film. She's such an interesting performer. Like she has got such focus and such like delicate decisions. That it's, yeah, it's such a pleasure to watch her act in anything. Yeah, it's it's super interesting to me that the uh, the same things I like about the her her presence on screen in this film, which is that she's, you know, again, the character is very hyper focused on the moment, and her portrayal of that is very sweet and innocent, and it's sort of the same reasons that her performance as Domino in Deadpool 2 works. Oh, I was just thinking the same thing. I, I like, have for many, many years been kind of daydreaming about a standalone Domino movie because I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah, because Domino is just because Domino's you know mutant superpower is that the odds are in her favor always. Like she's just extremely lucky, which I think is actually a really cool power, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, <laughs> But, but her reaction to that, her performance of that in the film was just like, I don't know, I'm going to see what happens. Let's just uh, let's just go with it and see what's going on. Like, uh, everything will work out. It's fine. You know? <laughs> like, um, and it's, it's interesting to me that such a, uh, you know, diverse character types are interesting for the same reason. Mm -hmm. I really want to watch High Flying Bird, actually. I've been, uh, that's been on my list for a while. That is on Netflix, and you should definitely mm -hmm. watch it just based on the fact that it's a Soderbergh film. Uh, and he makes good movies. He does. And uh, it's weird because I say that as him as one of my probably top five directors, and I still haven't watched his new one, uh, which is freely available to me, which is maybe I should just do that. Anyway. <laughs> yes, you should. But, you know, I'm neck deep in a film festival right now, so there's stuff going on. Um, oh. So Bill Skarsgård is interesting as well, I think, as as an actor. Oh. In, this, in this, he his he balanced this role really nicely because his only job was to be the kind of person Will wants to set. So he he was actually, he played the game and you could see that he was playing the game and he openly admitted to just saying whatever he thought Will wanted to hear. But he never came across as like arrogant or an asshole. I think that's a really delicate balance. Um, and I, I haven't really seen him in anything outside of it. So um, I love his physicality as well. Like yeah. Uh, Bill Skarsgård is a super interesting performer. If you haven't seen it, um, 
he is one of the main players in the first season of the show castle rock which is a just an ongoing remix of stephen king material um and he's super interesting in it Hmm. um and you know he he shows up as a cameo in deadpool 2 as well so there's another connection for you who is he in deadpool 2 uh he is one of the x-force members who immediately dies he's the He's the one who like uh, vomits acid or whatever. Oh my god, is that him? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a Deadpool two reunion. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Wow. Uh, Zeitgeist is his name. That's his name. Oh, I um, didn't know that was him. That's great. Yeah, he also shows up in. Um, uh, there was a Netflix movie. I can't remember if it's late last year or early this year, but with uh, Tom Holland and um robert pattinson called the devil all the time uh he shows up in that as well and he's quite good mm-hmm. uh and reportedly he's currently filming john wick 4 so everyone's filming that at the moment including clancy brown which is always a good thing that's true uh oh and bill skarsgård was also in atomic blonde so he's got a pretty good resume going at this point um, is he? Is this a really stupid question? Is he related to the Skarsgård from um, the Marvel movies? Yeah, that's his dad. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, there's a whole Skarsgård family. If you're, for those of you who are unaware, so um, Stellan Skarsgård is a well-regarded uh, actor, Swedish, I believe. Yeah, Swedish actor, and his sons include uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård um, from this film. Uh, and also Gustav oh. Skarsgård, who starred in a lot of things, but probably is best known for the History Channel television show Vikings, and also Alexander Skarsgård, who mm-hmm. is a Golden Globe and Emmy-winning actor known for things like uh, uh, True Blood and uh, oh, lots yeah. and lots of movies in the last couple of years, uh, yeah. who is also a very interesting performer. Um, Alexander Skarsgård was also in Godzilla vs. Kong, uh last year this year this year um and he he's very successful and rightly so and the scars guards are a big family and uh Stellan is in both mamma mia and mamma mia 2 which i had the pleasure of watching last week when i say pleasure i i mean more like a room in hell for an hour and a half because <laughs> god damn if you ever if you ever wonder if you still love movies watch mamma mia 2 and that will remind you how much you love good movies so it's a whole other discussion. I've seen the first Mamma Mia and I didn't mind it. I didn't, um, it, but I didn't mind it. That's fine. The first Mamma Mia. The problem with with Mamma Mia two is that the first Mamma Mia used all the really good songs. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's just a very uncomfortable movie to watch. Just really is. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But anyway. Well, yes, nine days. Highly recommended. Know what you're going into. The trailer paints it as a a deep uh, as a more of an ensemble piece. It's really not. It's 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 Will and Emma with a bit of Kyo um, and Kane as well. Really, that's the focus of this film. But it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, and uh, right now it's actually been in theaters in the in the states. So for our American listeners, uh, it's been in theaters since I think early July, and it opens. Uh, it opened in um, Canadian theaters, uh, uh, which uh, by the time you're listening to this will have been two days ago on August thirteenth, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be headed to on demand in September, if memory 
Right. Yep. Go see it. It'll make you feel things. Yeah. And that's, you know, what else do you want from a movie but to make it have it make you feel things? <laughs> okay. Uh, before, it's, it's interesting actually I sometimes I, I have friends and colleagues who say when they go to see a movie and they say I didn't like it because I felt manipulated into feeling emotions and my response is always why else do you go to the movies sir like, <laughs> that is what they're for they are they are they're empathy machines they're designed to make anyway that's a whole other discussion so that's your that's your book you're going to write the title is empathy machines colon the true magic of the movies. There we go. Uh, I'll be I'll be your agent. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That might be one day. One day. <laughs> okay. okay so, so so nine days. On? Highly recommended. Let's move yeah. on now to the latest Disney Plus Marvel project, which is an animated anthology series called What If, based on the. Uh, comic book series of my youth and a uh, true story comic book series that in my youth I adored uh, which is a word I realize I'm using a lot lately um, <laughs> that's fine you can love things um, because and uh, basically the, the setup for what if both the series and the comic book series is you take an existing Marvel story and you change one detail and then you follow the sort of chaos theory changes throughout the universe as a result. Um, we were able to watch the first three episodes of this series. Uh, and by the time you're listening to this, one will have aired with a second and third coming this Wednesday and the Wednesday after uh, for a total and a total of nine episodes. And I really liked it. Uh, I don't know if I... Uh, loved it exactly it's an anthology series so it's a little bit i'm going to say the first three episodes are all super interesting and well produced and a little bit uneven um but uh simon what do you i'm gonna let you i could rant about this for ages so i'm gonna just yeah. throw it to you and say what did you think of this series and did you have any experience with it ahead of time or was this well, like a new thing for you this is my question for you. So I, I had no idea that it was a thing. And you've just mentioned it was a comic book series when you were young. Yeah. So like uh, 50, 60 years ago, this was a <laughs> Not that um, old. <laughs> the comic book series so, started in like 77 or 78. So, so it's exactly as old as we are, basically. <laughs> um, what, uh, was it a big deal? Like, was what if a big deal? Like, why did it exist to begin with? Was it just to fill some time? Because a lot of anthology series where they kind of explore what if situations in different in different kind of properties is when they kind of run out of ideas. So where did it come from? And I, my additional question is, I was aware of Marvel Zombies. And is that one of the original what ifs? Is that where Marvel Zombies came from? Okay, so a couple of answers, and I don't 100% know the answers to these, but my understanding of the genesis of the What If series was really just for comic book writers and artists to be to have a bit of a playground, to say, I had this idea, I want to write it down, and someone could be like, okay, do it in What If, you know, like, right. like, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's pretty pretty much all that it was. I might be wrong about this, but okay. that is my understanding. That's very uh, cool. In terms of the TV series. And I think we'll get into this in a minute, but the TV series, much like the comics today, because bear in mind when I say this, that Kevin Feige is now in charge of Marvel, top to bottom. And my feeling 
is that the comic books today, and not to disparage them in any way, like there's a lot of really good comic books happening, comic book stories, writing, art, etc. But my understanding of it at this point is that the comics are being used very much as like a test bed for things that'll work on either TV or in movies. Ooh, and I also feel like What If is very much a, being used as a, a bit of a test bed because it's, it's starting to become clear to me that the big thing in this new era of Marvel is going to be the multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the multiverse is going to be the same thing that the Infinity Stones were in the first three phases. That they are going to be the thing that, for better or for worse, loosely ties together all of these stories that they're planning to tell. Um, There's there's more to Marvel movies happening. Like, there's obviously a Young Avengers thing being built up as well, and probably a Thunderbolts thing as well. But the multiverse is going to be the big unifying thing, like the Infinity Stones were. So what if, as a series, to me so far, feels like... It's either a test bed for new versions of characters we love. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's just getting we as viewers used to the idea that these other universes can be completely divergent in ways that we maybe don't or wouldn't expect. And it's a very, very easy way to suddenly wheel out Robert Downey Jr. again if you need to bump up your ratings a little bit. Like oh, we found a, we found a universe where he is still Iron Man and still alive, except he has a long mustache. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, um, there's that. Uh, there's unfortunately there's no there's no bringing Chadwick Boseman back because he tragically passed away. Um, but definitely, you know, beloved supporting characters at this point, like Yondu, definitely could come back. Yeah. I would really like to see. Haley Atwell come back as Captain Carter because the first episode of the series okay. is what if Agent Carter got the serum instead of Steve Rogers? Yes, and, I wanna... and it sounds like Simon has a lot of feelings <laughs> about the matter. Okay, I want to pick up your. I want to finish your question. What did I think about it? Now I've got some context. I want to talk about the first one because yeah. I think we're kind of flip with nine days, and that I watched the thirty something minutes of Captain Carter, and if if that had been a full live action MCU movie, it would probably be my favorite one because I was just blown away at not just the, the, the animation is great. Of course it's great. It's Marvel and Disney. They have got enough money to do good animation. So they, uh, the writing was great. The animation was great, but the direction of the action and the direction and the flow of the scenes, the fight cinematography is stunning. And I'm getting really, really sensitive to bad fight choreography. I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, not the podcast, just we were talking about um, uh, Loki, weren't we? And uh, how, I, how much I love the fight choreo and that, because I'm getting really, really sensitive to um, actors acting fights and pulling punches and uh, magically telegraphing and being telepathic about the next punch. And um I don't know if it's because I, I studied stage acting for a couple of years and it's the most fun I've ever had doing any kind of exercise. It was fantastic. Oh, you mean stage combat? I don't know if, 
Stage combat. Yeah, what did yeah. I say? You said stage acting. Oh, no. Stage, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I did a bit more of that. Stage combat. Stage combat's fantastic. And I think it, it reminds me a bit of when you were really into swordplay and you were watching any kind of sword fight, Would you would just pick apart when they were predicting where the... Um, the blades were going to go, and you said something to me that's ruined every single time I watch anything with swords or lightsabers, is that they they fight the blade instead of, they go for the blade instead of each other, which yep. I thought was really interesting. And now every bloody time I watch a lightsaber fight, I'm like, I oh, know they're trying to hit the blade and not each other. And yep. um, and uh, for, I, for, I'd like to apologize to any of our <laughs> listeners who pay attention to fight scenes, but it's true. If you pay attention to any kind of fight scene where there's a weapon involved, it becomes very easy to see when they are striking at each other's weapon instead of each other. Let's say when they are striking without intent. Yeah. As soon as you notice it, you'll never be able to unnotice it. And I'm sorry for that. No. So I watched, and it happens in Black Widow. It happened in a couple of different movies where. Um, I want to love this movie, but when they get into a fight and they start predicting like punches and the hands are magically in the right place for the, the legs that come in, uh, it, it really ruins the immersion for me. Now, I know this is animation, so <laughs> you don't have to pull punches in animation. You can actually have the cartoon characters punch each other. But a big part of fight choreography as well is the camera angle. And I am so sick of like hyper editing close camera angles where you can't see anything. I'm completely done with it. I want full like panned out passive camera just showing me what's going on. And all of the action in Captain Carter was just a wider passive camera just showing us what's going on. And it's, um, if you remember, there's one scene where she is standing in front of a, a Nazi truck and the headlights are directly into the camera. And she's being attacked on either side by Nazis. And it's just a dance. It's a beautiful dance with her and the shield and punches and kicks. And it is, the camera doesn't move at all. And it's just uh, this chore choreography of left and right. And it's beautiful. And all of the action is stunning. Um, the the uh, Hayley Atwell's vocal performance is fantastic. And asking a film actor, well, she's a stage actor too, to do voiceover work is a is a completely different prospect. Voiceover acting is <laughs> completely different. And it's interesting you say that because I thought that Haley Atwell was quite good as well. And I thought that the voice actor they got to play Steve Rogers was pretty good. But Sebastian Stan is not good. No, like, no, no. Uh, it's really kind of shocking, actually, because everything that uh, Bucky says in the film is kind of yeah. flat. Very right? flat. It's very, really very flat. flat. Like, uh, when it comes to... And that's yeah. actually it's actually one of the big complaints from uh, about the series in general is that the voice acting is sort of all over the map. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and that's true. Uh, There's a reason why there are specific voice actors. There's a very good reason for that because it's it's as different to film acting as film acting is to stage acting. It's a different set of skills, and yeah. if you don't understand what it need what you need to do to perform in that way, then you're just going to come across like Sebastian Standard, are completely flat, monotonous. Uh, all, all the expression you do in your physical expressions, you have to put into your voice and think way more about tone and delivery. And there's there's one beautiful moment in the uh, in the end of this, in the last 10 minutes, where Hayley Atwell shouts something, and I 
basically stood up because I was so in that moment, you know, where you just like drawn in even more. Um, I loved it. I, I did enjoy the first more than the second and the third. I don't know how much we're going to talk about the detail of the second and the third, but the. Um, I the, can go. The, I can say that I, I liked the second one the best. Oh, did you? Interesting. Well, the, tell me about that. What, so, what happens? Give me a, an overview of the second one. So, I don't want to get into too much in terms of like spoilers. So, the setup for the second one is: what if Yondu had picked up T'Challa as a boy instead of Peter Quill, and the rest of the episode is what if black panther but as star lord basically um and the entire universe is different um the influence of you know a good a, not to say that peter quill is a bad hearted in any way but like the influence of such a noble person on the rest of the universe plays out in far-reaching ways that i don't think you're going to expect when you see them uh but i i thought that the as much as i really liked the first one i think the third one is actually the weakest of the three we've seen um although very generally i still liked it um i thought that the, the first one suffered a bit from the short format a little more than the second I thought that the, because these episodes are only half an hour long, so the storytelling is a little bit abridged. Um, and I felt like it sort of sped through a few points. I didn't think there was any real reason for Captain Carter to get the shield, for example. Um, it was just sort of handed to her. There was no in, in narrative reason for her to have it. And not that it's bad that she has it, just that like if it had even five or 10 minutes more to give her a reason to have it, I thought it would have been better. And again, yeah. that's not to say that it was bad or that I didn't like it. Just that I think that overall, when you're trying to tell a story in 30 minutes and you're trying to cram in very specific elements, they're not always going to be justified extremely well. Right? I guess they, they want the touchstones of that, that character as quickly as possible, I guess, don't they? And the shield is such a yeah. trademark for who he is. I see exactly what you mean. And, and I think that the second one, and again, without talking about this, the plot or details at all, but I think that the second one suffers from that less. Uh, I also think that Chadwick Boseman is uh, very good, and I, I very much enjoyed this, uh, the story a little more. Um, it's really hard to say exactly why without giving away spoilers, but this episode we're talking about, episode two, isn't out for another few days, so I don't want to give anything away, but the second one was the one I liked best. Can we mention any story elements at all of the second one? Because I think the reason why you like the second one the best is that it carries many story elements that you have reacted to very positively before with a set I mean, of characters. Yeah, I mean, even, <laughs> even just seeing Yondu back because I, I really like Yondu as a character and I really... Yeah. Michael Rooker's uh, vocal performance is somewhere between the really good ones and the really bad ones. Um, mm -hmm. It's not totally flat, but he's not totally... You can tell he's not really a voice actor at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, let's, just to break it down, when there's a father-son type relationship, I react to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. what it really comes down to. Yeah. And T'Challa and Yondu have the same uh, underlying father-son relationship that Yondu and Star-Lord do in the movies, and therefore 
I react to it. And also, honestly, as a person who really, really liked Chadwick Boseman as both an actor and a performer and finding out posthumously how much he struggled and suffered with cancer without telling anyone and how much he gave back to the community without asking for any fanfare and how he chose, you know, roles to highlight and empower his, like the man did a lot and I didn't really expect to be so affected by hearing his voice again, but it was. Well, especially as we have different contexts now that you know that when many of his performances, including the first Black Panther, like he knew he didn't have long left. And when you look back that with that new context and, and the kind of choices he makes, the kind of stories that he chose to tell, tells us a lot about him as well, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's incredible to think that he filmed literally every appearance he made in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with at least stage three cancer. Like, that's just incredible to me. I've known people with stage three cancer. It is not a pleasant experience. Uh, and it's not an easy one physically to get through. But this man performed action films with stage three and stage four cancer. Yeah, and it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. And, and I think we're, you know, I think that the, the constellation of stars in Hollywood is diminished as a result of his loss. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, he could, he, he was an incredible actor. Yeah, and it, by all accounts, just an incredible, you know, person to have around. So, yeah. um, but so yeah, I was I was affected by hearing his voice, and I was affected by just the father son relationship between T'Challa and Yandu. And I also just thought it was, you know, every one of these episodes is going to be, like I described at the start. You know, the whole setup is that like you know, a butterfly flaps its wings in Beijing, and so you get rain in Central Park, right? So every episode is one minor change happens and the entire universe is made different. And yeah. I feel like the changes in the second episode were a lot more far-reaching and interesting than those in the first episode, which is really just the first Avenger again, but with Peggy. Whereas yeah. the, the second one, the entire, you know, the, the, the entire Guardians of the Galaxy galaxy is changed because it's T'Challa. Yeah, that's a good point. It was very, very different. The um, It's interesting how it's all tied together, similar to the Twilight Zone, where you have a central narrator telling you a story. And in this case, it's this, I don't know, om, omni, so, uh, omnipotent yeah, like Watch, guy Watch, The Watcher. Is that from the, the comics too? Yeah, so Watsu the Watcher, he's one of many Watchers in the Marvel comics, but he's the one who watches Earth. Um. And he is, uh, he's not omnipotent, but he's uh, omniscient, I guess. He's all-knowing. Um, and his whole thing, it's interesting because his opening narration in each episode is like, I observe, but I will not and cannot interfere. But his whole thing is that he interferes. Like, his whole thing <laughs> is that, like, even just by observing, he interferes because it's the type of thing where when, when Uwatu shows up in any story, you're like, something big's about to happen. <laughs> so, like, it just changes your attention on the story, right? Um, but in terms of the what if series, yeah, he basically just like opens and closes. He's basically Rod Serling, 
is what's happening. He's yeah. he's just like, what if this happened? And then, you know, offers a few closing thoughts at the end. It's literally just the Twilight Zone in comic book form. Uh, but I love it for that. So whatever, you know. It's a shame they didn't use Jonathan Frakes doing his, uh, like, random question, what if program. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, yeah, but honestly, they've, uh, you know, Jeffrey Wright, I think is a very good voice actor. And I think his, I think Jeffrey Wright is an excellent choice as Uwatu because Jeffrey Wright has one of those deep voices with a sort of inherent gravitas that I think a character like this sort of needs. You know, I think there's a, there's very few correct choices for this role and a lot of bad ones. In the uh, comics, does the Watcher ever take any kind of side? Does he anything? Does he ever become anything more than just a passive observer? Like, do, does he ever become good or bad? Is that something we can uh, expect from this? Do you think or not? So I don't know if we can expect that from this series. Um, he he has definitely taken sides before, and he but it's never like good or bad. It's sort of just like nudging things in a direction, yeah. as memory serves. Uh, and his honestly, his his bigger roles in the universe, especially more recently, haven't been so much active as they have been. At one point, he was murdered, and that became a whole like <laughs> ongoing like um, event in the Marvel universe was the like investigation of his death. Because um, he in the comic books, it's not like he's you know this like being you can't who like lives in the clouds and you can't see him. He just lives on the moon. So <laughs> it's. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a whole thing where like he was killed and then his eyes were taken and people were using his eyes to predict the future. And it, comics oh. are weird. Comics are weird. Let's just leave I'm it at that. Of them. Yeah, I, I said early, I think I said it on Twitter, one of my sort of fears for the series, because the trailers made it look to me very much like there was like a through line, like there was going to be, you know, it wasn't just going to be Uatu watching alternate universes, but that like some character would be quantum leaping their way through these different universes and so far with the first three anyway i'm very glad that that's not the case because what i really want from this series is for it to be just the twilight zone with the characters we love i want it to be in it i want it to be an anthology i don't want it to have a central narrative uh and so far i'm very glad that's not the case let's talk about the third episode because we've skirted around that so far we we both enjoyed the first few for different reasons but we're both kind of lukewarm on the third now of course without going into specifics why why do you think that is what does not work so well in the third one so for context so the third episode uh takes place in the week in which iron man 2 thor and the incredible hulk take place because for those of you who are younger than us uh remember that those three films do take place over the course of one week concurrently um and the basic premise is without getting into too much detail it's what if the avengers never form like it's what a and but what doesn't work for me is that the the resolution to that to the mystery the central mystery of that episode has no setup right like i kind of wish i could watch it again just to confirm this but you know our screeners uh have expired and the show doesn't air for another two weeks but the I mean, you know, the, 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 the vocal performances are good. I think it's very interesting. It's interesting to see who they've gotten back because the third one has a very prominent role for Black Widow. And they got, and like, 
I don't know if you're aware of everything that's going on in the world, but Scarlett Johansson is not back for this. <laughs> um, uh, but Sam Jackson is, and I think uh, Michael Douglas is too, actually. Um, was actually Michael Douglas? I think so. I haven't looked it up, but I think so. But um, uh, what I'm trying to say is that the, 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 the resolution to this mystery, the central mystery of this episode, it's very Scooby-Doo. It's very like, uh, like you said before, it's very like, uh, um, you know, the the big, the bad guy is revealed and it's like, aha, it's been him all, the lo- all along, but there's no setup for it. The only setup for how you could possibly expect that to happen within the contained narrative of this episode is having watched the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no... There's no in episode or in narrative reason for the resolution to be the resolution. Yeah, and I think it, I think it suffers for that, and I don't think that makes the series bad. Um, I think anthology series one of the inherent risks as a viewer of an anthology series is knowing that not every episode is going to be great, not every story is going to be one that you like. Um, so so exactly. having having one be not like and again like very generally i i liked it you know i thought it yeah. was it's i thought fine. it was it's fine yeah. um but it is it does highlight that this is an anthology series and not all of them are going to be home runs you know i think it's interesting that you mentioned about the no setup for the final thing they the only setup there is for that resolution is something we see midway through that you only understand if you've seen it in the context of one of the other movies and I think now, and I, I thought this during many parts of Black Widow as well, I don't think Marvel are making movies. Uh, I don't think they're at all interested in making movies or shows or anything for people who haven't seen the other ones. I think they're just assuming everyone's seen everything at this point because there's so many details now. It's become so convoluted how everything has to tie into each other that they're, uh, they are doing reveals and story beats that only make sense if you've seen that build up in another show or movie. Um, and I think that is a growing weakness, as you pointed out. And I think it is a problem if you come to one of these things without having seen a number of the other Marvel movies. But I, I don't think they can avoid that anymore. They're so focused on a single uh, universe uh, or multiverse as it's going to be that I don't think it's their concern anymore. I, I, how could they do it? How could they make a movie that has all the appeal for the hardcore fans, but also is gen- general enough to bring in new people? Um, and so the last couple of things I've watched now, I've, I felt that's growing. And I, I'll be very interested to watch them, the new um, Spider-Man, the new Doctor Strange, um, Eternals, Shang-Chi, I can't say it, Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi. And and I think like Hawkeye as well is going to be another one where I wonder how much context for Hawkeye you're going to need. I think that Marvel honestly is going to have an easier time of this than many other franchises might because to be fair, take Loki for example, which except for the initial setup, I think actually stands on its own fairly well. Uh, Very well, actually. Um, But I think it's also a pretty safe bet that at this point, even the casual viewer is going to have some understanding of Loki as a character, at least in terms of the way Loki exists or existed. And literally everyone on on the planet saw Avengers Endgame. So we all know how that show, like we all know the initial setup for that show because we all saw it. But 
is that true of some of the stuff in some of the other things we've seen so far? I'm not 100% sure, you know? Um, I think that it worked for Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well. Like, we all know that Steve gave the shield to Sam. Um, I, I liked Black Widow more than you did, but I see what you're saying about stuff that only really works having seen previous entries, right? The thing about fan service is that it works best when it's only present as an extra yeah right it only it works best when it's a thing that you know say you know me is a big fan of the avengers watches black widow and catches something that maybe my friends who haven't watched all the films or aren't as invested in the entire universe as i am because i'm pretty invested but it works yeah. when that there's a reference there that I get, and I have that you know Steve Rogers in the first Avengers moment. I understood that reference, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but it doesn't work as well when it's you have to have seen X to understand Y in total. Yeah, right. It's agree. it's it should be a spice. It shouldn't be the entree, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a garnish. Not the entree would be a better analogy. Um, example of that is in Rogue One. I think Rogue One, you could have you could have ignored all the Star Wars movies in your life and watched Rogue One and enjoyed it. I I love Rogue One like a baby, as you know, as we've talked about many, many, many times before. Um, I adore that movie and I've watched it a number of times each week. And um, there's a moment in Rogue One where they are walking through uh, Jeddah the Jedi city and they bump into the two guys that um, that confront Luke in Mos Eisley in A New Hope. And it's purely there as fan service. It doesn't add anything to the story. And it is by far uh, a moment that I actually try to fast forward through because it just kind of feels a bit embarrassing to me. Do you know what I mean? It's the, there's, there's no reason for it to be there at all. They are not story specific characters. They have no relevance to what's going on or even yeah, it's, being it's, in Jeddah themselves. It's a so, really, really, really fine line because because that, I don't like that one either. But also like that is definitely the definition of that's garnish, not the entree, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't, but it's a, it's a really fine line in that like it has to it has to feel it also has to feel organic and that particular one just does not that one feels shoehorned in yeah, it doesn't exactly. feel like it's not like a thing that comes up in a conversation or a visual reference in the background that you know eagle-eyed watchers will be like aha that's a thing i get that uh that is a thing it's like look at this fan service it that's another way that fan service doesn't work as if it's in your face yeah hey look who it is if it's like you're being slapped with a fish across the face right like it doesn't work unless it's fully organic but also not the main like it's it's such a weird fine line and things have to work exactly right for it to work and it's so easy to get wrong um uh and yeah i think for better or for worse the third episode of what if suffers from that because there's no way you can understand why there's no way to understand the resolution to the mystery in the third episode without having watched a number of other marvel properties yeah so uh, 
sorry. And to be fair, like the people who are going to watch What If have probably seen those properties. Yeah. But also, there's no way to draw in a new viewer with a story like that. Yeah, true. Um, so having read the What If comics and, and seen the trailers that are coming up, what for you is your personal story that you're looking forward to the most out of the remaining What Ifs? Uh, so I don't know all there's gonna be nine episodes of this season and they've already i think greenlit a second season of nine episodes as well and um i'm not looking forward to anything too terribly specifically um in fact my hope for the series being an anthology is that it just continues to be or strives to be maybe a little more surprising than it has been already so Mm. all of the ones that we've seen upcoming in the trailer and the main two of those are probably going to be obviously there's one that's going to be you know what if killmonger saved tony stark before the events of iron man and there's going to be one that is marvel zombies and to answer your earlier question by the way marvel zombies isn't the what if story marvel zombies is a self-contained limited series and it's kind of great and it's and i think three or maybe four self-contained limited series there's like a marvel zombies oh, one two and so, three so the they've just stolen marvel zombies and just rolled it into the what if series here yeah basically oh, uh but i mean it's it is basically a what if story it just happens to be a limited series instead of a one-off right okay but it's not like so it's, when i say that it's not like you know a watu's not there <laughs> it's just the mm-hmm. every once in a while marvel does like a, a high concept limited limited run series and marvel zombies was one of those uh marvel zombies again also became kind of a long-running thing because there's at least three limited series centered in that universe Mm -hmm. um uh, anyway what i was trying to say is that like the ones that i know are coming are maybe the least interesting to me now just because i want stuff i haven't seen before and stuff i'm not expecting of the of all the cuts and all the scenes i've seen in the marketing for what if the one that might excite me the most is the one that has Scott Lang's head in a jar because I have no idea how Scott Lang's head is going to end up in a jar <laughs> and uh, let alone still talking Futurama style so uh, maybe of the ones I know are coming that's probably the one that I'm most interested in um, but like I say I'm just, all I want from this series is for it to do interesting stuff and unexpected stuff and to take some risks like there's no because there's not really any risk there's no like box office returns to worry about with a half hour animated series on disney plus right it just i really hope they take some big swings that's all i care about that's all i want is for them to try new and interesting and weird shit just get as weird as possible with it guys if if anyone at disney anyone at marvel is listening please Get your freak on. Let your freak flag fly when it comes to what if. That's all I'm asking for. Do you think that's becoming less and less likely though now with with, su- with such a huge property? It, I mean, there's going to be less wriggle room to do something that's kind of weird. So think? without getting into a protracted debate about the state of entertainment in the world, if I, th- <laughs> if, oh, if, on, I th- if I think it's less likely to happen, it's because I happen to think that Disney is more interested in familiar properties that are guaranteed to make money than taking risks. Mm-hmm. Um, that is certainly true of the films. And I think it's a little bit less true of things on Disney Plus. 
Um, and I think it's probably a little bit less true of things like what if that are designed to be this way. But overall, like, I mean, there's a reason that we're getting a, a new Home Alone film this fall, this this Christmas, right? Like, Disney's very much interested in, in monetizing our familiarity and our nostalgia. And I think that's starting to show a little bit more yeah. than it did before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wonder if um, Ant-Man, the, when, when the second Ant-Man movie introduced the quantum realm and everyone talked about how this was Marvel's way to start introducing more uh, unreal magical elements and was this going to be a way to the Fantastic Four? Like, basically, every conversation is, is this, a, is this a path to the Fantastic Four coming back? And the next Ant-Man movie is uh, is Quantum Mania, so it's going to be lots and lots more Quantum Zone hijinks. And I wonder if that's their outlet for for weird stuff now. More than uh, the multiverse, really. I mean, I don't, I don't know, because uh, honestly, like the multiverse, the multiverse is probably the the greatest storytelling tool for weirdness. Like as much as you could use the Infinity Stones to change reality as you know it, the multiverse lets you just continually bring in weird stuff if you want to and i hope that they do i honestly hope um, that they do because like but i think i think what what quantum mania is going to do because if you so if you look really closely in ant-man and the wasp there's a scene there's a shot while they're while hank pym is in the quantum zone rescuing janet where there's a city in the background now to, to do like a moderately deep dive into comics there's a city in the quantum realm in the microverse i think it's called in the comic books that a version of kang the conqueror is the ruler of and it's called chronopolis so my expectation because jonathan majors we know is going to be in ant-man and the wasp quantumania <clears throat> so my expectation is that the version of kang that they're going to show and, and have to fight in this film is going to be the one that rules Chronopolis. Oh, okay. But Kang the Conqueror is a multiversal multiversal conqueror. They could literally bring him in every every single property for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he could die at the end of every single one of those things, and we could never see Jonathan Majors play this the role the same way twice. That's a very exciting prospect. I don't think they're going to do that. I think there's probably going to be like a prime Kang. Um, but I honestly, I, like that would be best case scenario for me. It's just to let Jonathan Majors go buck wild <laughs> every time he shows up and just make, just like make your own choices this time. You know, like th that would be great. Yeah. And the, the Marvel multiverse, I get the, the impression, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't all have to be slightly different versions of the same humans because we have animal Thor and we have pick spider-man and so it, it can afford to be really 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 out there it doesn't have to play it safe is that true i mean honestly the the depth and breadth of the marvel multiverse varies from time frame to time frame pretty much based on how much drugs the writers and artists were taking at the time. <laughs> um, but there's definitely spider ham you know um there's I mean, even in Loki, there's a there's in one of the later episodes of the Loki TV series, one of the Loki variants, one of the other Lokis from another universe, is a an alligator or crocodile. He's the best Loki. Uh, and my, you know, the logical extension for that of that for me 
is that it implies the existence of an entire universe where everything is exactly the same, except they're all alligators. So, <laughs> I mean, it's honestly only going to be as weird as the executives let it be. I think Kevin Feige, for 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 better or for worse, Kevin Feige is a he's a very good producer, and he very generally. Like he's obviously the central figure in the production of Marvel Marvel properties, and he's obviously the sort of guiding force. Um, but I think he's also very good at trusting filmmakers to make the films they want to make, which is how you end up with, you know, Guardians of the Galaxies one and two, and Thor Ragnarok in the same universe as, you know, Captain America's The Winter Soldier, and Black Widow, and very tonally and intentionally divergent types of storytelling right um so I, I i'm sort of rambling at this point but what i'm trying to say is that i hope he continues to do that you know i hope that he continues to trust his filmmakers and to not plan too far in advance because the 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 great sort of i think i've said this before and well maybe when we were talking about loki and black widow but what i've said before is that the secret of the marvel universe is that it feels incredibly planned but they actually retcon their way the whole way through mm-hmm. the whole thing right like it's all well and good that you know you think about shield right like shield was this uh it's the the the, the primary intelligence agency in the marvel universe for most of the first phase and into the second of the films but remember in iron man one they didn't even have a name right they didn't they, they were the they were trying to find their short name in the first one but by captain america which is only three films later four films later um they've existed since the 30s you know yeah. in some form or another um in the first thor magic is just really advanced technology and by doctor strange there's just magic and sorcerers are just sorcerers and loki is just a really good magician <laughs> you know like <laughs> They, they haven't been afraid to pick and choose the threads they're going to adhere to specifically and the ones they're going to adhere to very loosely. And I hope that continues. Yeah. Uh, I think that if they were to plan out the entirety of what they want to do with Kang over the same length of time as they did with the Infinity Stones, um, the whole thing would be diminished for it. And I think if they were to say this thing we established has to remain true, then the whole thing would actually be diminished for it as well. I think the more rules we place, the more rules that are placed on the Marvel Universe, the more restrictions that are placed on it, the more uniform it's going to feel and the more, uh, sorry, the less interesting it's going to be. Yeah, no, I agree. So if anyone from Disney is listening, I do love your stuff, but again, let your people be weird, man. Let them, let them be weird. Let them do what they want to do. Don't be afraid to blow shit up every once in a while. Some of your best stories have come from just blowing shit up. So I, I wonder if they're going to start positioning Taika Watiki into more of an overview, like an overseer kind of role in terms of guiding everything because he he's been incredibly successful for them and he's been one of these directors who's managed to go through the marvel machine where 
before you even start principal filmmaking, they've already directed the CGI action scenes and you have to kind of work around them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, his, his first Thor, Ragnarok, was amazing. And by all accounts, Love and Thunder is no holds barred. Like everything, everything is thrown up in the air and everything's on the table. And um, I, I wonder if they are going to give him more of a, obviously the showrunner is the wrong word, but a guiding force across all the properties for, to help the directors go through this process. And I don't, I don't think they need to. Uh, so they did that actually. They did that in the second phase with uh, with Joss Whedon, where he was sort of a guiding force through the the everything between Avengers and Avengers: Age of Ultron, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, but I don't think they need to do that anymore. Like by all accounts, and this is just even from you know watching the the various directors' Twitter accounts and social media and the way they interact with one another, it seems like they all talk to each other anyway. Uh, And it seems like Kevin Feige is very encouraging and of that and of making sure that everyone seems to be getting their voice heard while at the same time sort of adhering to a central uh, doctrine, but maybe theme. Yeah. Uh, And uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, So I, I don't think they need to. And honestly, even if they did, I think Taika Waititi's just too busy because he's not just doing Marvel stuff. He's got a Star Wars movie on the books and he just premiered a TV show uh, on FX and he's got he's got a ton of irons in the fire is what I'm trying to say. He seems yeah. to be a very good multitasker, but I'd hate to see him, you know, laden down to the fact, to the, fa- to the point where he couldn't have all those same irons in the fire, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, good. So that's Marvel's What If. <laughs> yeah, that's very much like What If. Um, <laughs> a brief exploration of how Marvel creates things. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, uh, I think we're just going to call it there. I think uh, so. Nine days, highly recommended. See it if you can. Obviously, cases are on the rise. So it does come out on demand later in the fall. Um, yeah. What If is airing. Yeah, That's what fun. what if is playing on Disney Plus? It premiered this past Wednesday uh, with new episodes following every Wednesday for nine weeks total, and it's definitely worth watching. I I very much enjoyed. I'm very much enjoying it so far. Yeah, yeah. and I think that the third one, Stumbling, is a natural consequence of it being an anthology series. Yeah, I'm really and, looking forward to the rest of them. Yeah, me too. And it being renewed for a second season is uh, also very heartening. In that, uh, I like I like it when I like it when Marvel gets weird. So I hope they just get really weird with it. Yeah. Um, And I think we're gonna call it there, Simon. Any final thoughts from you, or anything you have on the books? I know we're both covering. uh, I am watching Schmigadoon, and it is wonderful. Yes, Uh, it is. like, Like, subscribe to Apple Plus what's it called apple tv plus the the tv part of apple their their own um their shows are really good like ted lasso and uh schmigadoon and um the space one and the uh jason morning momoa rising show. show's quite good it's good like but schmigadoon is is made by people who love musical theater for people who hate musical theater and it is a joy it's a pure joy it is so good and so well done 
And there's a song in the fourth episode about conception that you will learn. I learned more from that one song than five years of school. <laughs> uh, and so I really, 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 really recommend it. And you've got some Fantasia stuff you're watching right now. Yeah, we're both actually covering uh, the Fantasia Festival, 25th Fantasia Festival. You can see some coverage of some of the films uh, already on the website uh, with a few more reviews to follow. I have at least one interview scheduled for the upcoming week, hopefully more. Um, and I'm sure that probably not next week's episode of the podcast, but the one after will probably be, I'm assuming, a Fantasia recap. Fantasia special. So. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Um, so that's very much all stuff to look forward to. Thank you for listening to this awesome Friday on a Sunday. Uh, remember, awesome Friday. It's a state of mind, not a time and place. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> it's like going on the t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we probably should have t-shirts at some point, And that's as good as anything I've come up with. So. <laughs> I, just enjoy, I just really enjoy how uh, the name Awesome Friday came from at, at a point in our lives where we both coincidentally had Friday off and we chose on those Fridays to watch as many movies as possible and then make questionable cocktail choices um, given to us by flirty uh, waitresses uh, and just really make bad decisions about the amount of alcohol we drink. And it seems like a long time ago now that we used to do that every Friday. So it makes me very happy when I when I hear our name. <laughs> you know, to think about how long ago that started, and I, I'm prolonging the show as it is, but just remember, I have been dry for eight years. Yes. <laughs> so find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr uh of all things and uh you should probably listening to this on your podcasting platform of choice we're on most of them now uh but if you have any comments follow us along uh simon can be found on twitter at temporary pan and myself at smatthew af um and we'd love to hear from you and that's all do I got. The thing, so. Do the thing. Matt needs money to. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to get some money, please. I'm really bad at self promotion. So <laughs> if you would like to support us in more meaningful ways, uh, there are two ways to do that. First is monetarily. You can find us uh, on Patreon and Ko fi. And you can find those links uh, actually just at my landing page, which is awesomefriday.ca slash Matthew. Um, uh, or you can do what every podcast in the world asks you to do, which is to please give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Give us a like on your podcasting platform of choice and share us to your friends, to your family, to whoever you will listen, really, uh, to help us you know, boost the audience and gain more of you listeners. We would love for you to join us every week. And, and on that note, uh, we're going to say goodbye for the week. We hope you have thank a good one. Listening. And thank you for listening. We'll see you in a week. Thanks, bye.